I'm DeMelo Roberts, Stage and Studio on Arts Watch. Portland Opera debuts its multi-year project to commission new operas that feature the stories and histories of BIPOC Oregonians for their Young Audiences program. That program is called POGO, or the Portland Opera to Go program. And their first original work is the biographical story of Black civil rights activist Beatrice Morrow Kennedy. Young people will learn about Kennedy, who fought the KKK in Oregon and started the Portland chapter of the NAACP and was the first black female editor of Portland's first black newspaper, The Advocate. Beatrice, a new 50-minute opera, will tour Oregon schools later this year. It gets its world premiere on September 17th and 18th. I talk with Alexis Hamilton on location, who directs the POGO program. As the manager of education and community engagement at Portland Opera, Hamilton says this new series of short operas will feature some untold stories of Oregonians of color. Opera has a lot of wonderful old stories, but opera is a living, breathing art form. And so we really want to be telling stories that are uh, relatable for all people in our community. POGO stands for Portland Opera to Go. And we have been around in the community for many, many, many years, uh, touring throughout Oregon, Southwest Washington with 50-minute typically English language, sometimes bilingual with Spanish youth operas. And we go into schools, we go into community centers, we go into continuing care retirement facilities with a fully staged costumed production with piano accompaniment and perform operas. Now, before the pandemic, like how many schools, kids did you serve? Oh, heavens, it just depends on the season and the selection. So typically when we're doing elementary schools, we can be doing 60, 70, 80 shows in a 10 to 12 week period with high schools. There's fewer high schools, so we can still do 50 to 60 shows. And way back in the 2000s, when there was more money to spend, we could do up to 100. I mean, did you offer other types of programming during the pandemic? Well, yes, we did. We created a series of lesson plans uh, in partnership with PPS that were available for synchronous and asynchronous remote learning. Uh, We used our resident artists for those programs. And those, those lesson plans have also been implemented into our new POGO curriculum. Um, But unfortunately, that was about the extent of what we were able to do. There was so much pivoting that I think everybody in Portland fell down with dizziness. Um, And so this season, we came back with a very limited tour of Un Camino de Fe, uh, which was a bilingual Spanish and English production about immigrant experience. And this fall, we're coming back in a big way with our new production, a new commission of Beatrice about the life of Beatrice Morrow Kennedy, a real life civil rights worker in Oregon during the suffrage era. How did you decide on Beatrice? Well, we spent some time with our artistic director, Damien Jeter. I had gone through with the Oregon Historical Society trying to find some some stories that I thought would be really exciting and relevant. And honestly, Beatrice stood right out to me because she had originally wanted to be an opera singer. And she changed her life to come here 
and run The Advocate with her husband, Edward. She arrived in 1912 and was active in Portland from 1912 to 1936. So a good long time and one of the most difficult times in Portland's history for race relations. It must have been hard. And, and I'll ask the uh, the composer and the librettist about this, too. But it must have been hard to, to focus on one specific aspect of a person's life. It was, but especially because Beatrice's life is so extraordinary. She has so many accomplishments. I mean, she was essentially the journalist, the editor, the typesetter, the everything for the advocate. And then she was busy with her work with the NAACP, which she was one of the founding members of the chapter here. She was became a lawyer. Um, she studied law and was the first African-American woman in Oregon to get a law degree. She was everywhere. And so, yes, it, it was very difficult to kind of narrow down. But the through line in it is her battle against Birth of a Nation, which even before it was released in California, it was a very controversial film, a very racist, controversial film about the end of the Civil War. And even at the time it was released, it was particularly controversial for its depiction, its negative depiction of African-Americans. And Beatrice spent 12 long years trying to get this film not to show in Portland, Oregon. It also depicted the the popularity even grew of the KKK. That's when it really started was after the Civil War. And in fact, one of her biggest objections here was that every time the film showed here, there was an increase in violent crime against the African-Americans. And the KKK was very, very active in Oregon at the time. And it wasn't just targeting African-American people. It was definitely targeting all ethnic minorities in the state. And in fact, one of the things that's most interesting and frightening about Oregon is that it was established as a white person's state. Uh, Black people were not supposed to even be in Oregon for the longest time. And so when Beatrice was active, there were only about 1,500 people of African descent in Oregon. I would think that this particular opera, since it's going to youth, is a good way to also teach about the exclusion laws that Oregon had, also the sundown laws and and things that were so discriminatory and, and excluded black Americans, but also other people of color, too. Absolutely. I think that using Pogo's Beatrice as kind of a doorway into history in a very relatable way with a very relatable character helps students get excited about history in general and really be able to see what what underlies being an, an Oregonian in many ways for many different people. And that's one of our goals with this, our Oregon project, which is a series of four operas over the next eight years or so that will focus on the experience of different people, not just white people in Oregon. And so, yes, absolutely. It's a great way to introduce some of the more uncomfortable aspects of of Oregon's history. Yeah, the aim is to feature Oregonian BIPOC stories for, for the new commissions. I was wondering how hard after, you know, such a shutdown that the pandemic caused, how is it to start up again in, and how big are you going? 
It's super exciting. It's challenging in that everything is um, the time frame is all very compressed because decisions were made in a in a in this this environment of uncertainty about how things were going to go. But we've been very lucky. We've been out there for a really long time. We have lots of trusted partners in the schools that love us and and have formed a wonderful basis for getting back into the schools. So that's been really great. Portland Public Schools has been incredible at the district level, helping us get the word out. It's harder in the more rural areas, and we are currently booking, and school is just starting. And and normally we would have done all of our bookings in spring, but we were still figuring out what the landscape was going to look like because we still weren't quite sure how schools were going to handle assemblies. Fact is, is that we're assembly-based. But the good news is, is even if a school is not comfortable with us coming in person and gathering in person, we will record this and make this available remotely for schools. Isn't there a school named after Beatrice Morrill Candidate? There is. It's in the Clackamas School District, and we are thrilled to be going to Beatrice Morrill Candidate Elementary School. That was Alexis Hamilton of the Portland Opera to Go program. Right now we're listening to a rehearsal clip from the new opera, Beatrice. Beatrice was a collaboration between composer Dave Ragland and librettist Mary McCallum. Ragland is a four-time Emmy-nominated composer, vocalist, and educator. He received the 2021 American Prize in Composition, two Telly Awards, and two Emmy nominations for Nashville Opera's first-ever commission, One Vote, One. That's an opera commemorating the centennial of women's suffrage. Mary McCallum is the founder of Sister Style Productions. Her play, Singleville, was a winner of the D.C. Black Theater Festival one-act battle, and was a main stage selection for the prestigious National Black Theater Festival. Her play, Six Triple Eight, won the top prize at the Atlanta Black Theater Festival and Tampa Bay Theater Festival. Both are based in Nashville, Tennessee, and are joining me right now from Nashville, Dave Ragland and Mary McCallum. Welcome to Stage and Studio on ArtsWatch. It's so great to meet you both. Same here. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. First off, the, the the content of Beatrice is very intriguing to me. I've, I've known a little bit of her history you know, in the past because there's a school named after her, read a lot about her, but you both have collaborated together before. So what was the first thing that drew you to, to want to create this new opera about Beatrice Morrow Kennedy? So Mary McCallum and I, um, again, we worked together before on the opera One Vote One for Nashville Opera, which, you know, they commissioned us to do for, you know, Centennial um, Women's Suffrage, and also to to encourage um, voting. Uh, you know, no matter who you are, if you're eligible, just get out and vote. And um, we were able to incorporate in that opera some really important history lessons that were important to not just the nation, but also our, our home place, our hometown, Nashville, Tennessee. And so that went um, very, very well. 
And because of that, a colleague of mine, a good friend from Portland Opera reached out and asked if we'd be interested in creating, helping them create their first opera for the Portland Opera To Go series. And they were fascinated by the story of Beatrice Morrow Kennedy. And that was Damien Jeter, correct? Correct. Yes, Damien Jeter, yes. Who reached out to you. So that's exciting. What was it that, the first thing that struck you both about Beatrice, though, when you started learning more? But had you heard of her before? I had not heard of her before. But when we had our first meeting with Portland Opera and um, we were talking about Beatrice and why they wanted to tell her story, I was immediately fascinated. The fact that she was this, you know, newspaper editor, this pioneering woman, you know, back in her day that did all these amazing things. So I was really excited to, you know, dig in and and learn more about her. So um, her story is just fascinating. She was such an amazing woman. And, you know, I'm just in awe of everything that she did, especially, you know, during that time period and just how bold and fearless she was. So it was pretty cool to be able to really dig in and be able to, you know, tell a story that, you know, honors her and celebrates her. How about you, Dave? Well, I had not heard of Beatrice Moore Kennedy before. So it was really fascinating to get take kind of a deep dive as far as, you know, for information that I could get from where I am. Unfortunately, it had to be like a lot online pretty much. But I, I had no idea. And also, um, the the things that African Americans had to go through in you know in Northwestern part of the U.S. during that time period, so it was definitely eye opening for me. Yeah, what were some of the things that you learned, uh, especially about Portland's exclusion laws, and it would have affected Beatrice at the time? Mary, did you find some things that that you connected with there? Yeah, I found it you know pretty interesting that Portland had a law that. Blacks were not allowed to settle there. So, um, and the fact that she and others were able to, you know, not just settle there, but build this community of people there in direct opposition of the law, saying, You're not welcome here. We don't want you here. You know, it's just pretty, you know, when you think about it, it's pretty amazing. And I'm not sure that, you know, your average person would want to have to, especially us in this, in these times, it's hard to fathom the fact that, you know, you had to live somewhere that blatantly said that you are not welcome here. We don't want you here. (laughs) And, you know, don't even settle here. So the fact that they did not only go west, but built this community is pretty amazing and pretty fascinating, which I found the fact that she was in so vocal about, you know, we are here and we're going to make a better life, not only for ourselves, but for everyone. You know, I just find that very, you know, admirable that she was willing to, you know, have that voice and stand up, you know, especially during that time when people were adamant about not wanting you to be there. Yeah, it is a pretty amazing feat, too, that, you know, she became the first uh, Black female editor, editor. Um, but still, you know, that that's in that time period and made a, a not just an amazing life for herself, but also a memorable one, you know, for future generations. Uh, I, I talked with Alexis Hamilton, and Alexis said that the opera focuses on her fight against the film showing, so that you, that you focused on that with The Birth of a Nation when it was uh, touring in Oregon and how she fought against that. Would you tell us about you know that time period and, and what it was like to sort of delve into that section of her life? Sure. Well, from my um, perspective, I had heard of the movie, um, didn't know a lot about it other than the fact, you know, how 
how horrible it was and how it portrayed, you know, African-Americans. But um, when I started digging into her story, one of the things that really stuck out for me is that she did not let that fight go. You know, the movie was brought to the Portland area, you know, several times. And first time, you know, she was adamant against it, didn't win the battle, you know, the, the film still showed, but this film just kept coming back, which was amazing to me. You know, it's like this, I think we say this, you know, somewhere in the opera, it's like, will this ever go away? You know, what is with this film? The fact that she had to keep, you know, fighting for this film to not be shown and she didn't give up that fight. I just found that really amazing and bold of her to, to take on that battle against so many you know, so many people who felt that this movie was the greatest thing ever and that the way they were portraying people and that she felt that she had to stick up and inspire other people to, you know, use their voices to say this movie should not be shown, this movie is not right, and to keep fighting that battle. You know, she didn't give up until she was able to win that battle. So I think that that was very, one aspect of her story that kind of struck me as somebody who was just very tenacious and would not give up because it would have been easy after the first time and maybe even after the second time to just say, okay, this is going to happen to just let it go. But she did not. Yeah, she risked her life, essentially, because there was a rise of uh, KKK memberships right after each showing of the film because of how they depicted it. Right. How did you decide on specific scenes? Like you mentioned one where, uh, won't this film go away? So is there a song about that? <laughs> uh, I, won't, I don't think there's a full song, but there is part of it where she's talking to her husband, Edward, and he says, sorry to give you this bad news, but this is coming back again. And, you know, she's like, basically, are there no other films? You know, <laughs> like, why does this keep coming back? And like the first time, you know, every time they brought it back, it was something different. So they added like music and speaking and all of these things with it. So, um, so yeah, it was pretty, but in terms of deciding on the scenes, I think it was just how to tell her story in a way that was, you know, it is an educational piece, but I think we also want it to be, you know, something that's entertaining, motivating, something that people want, hopefully see again, you know, so I, that was just the aspect of, you know, with us just trying to figure out how do we tell her story and honor her life the best way possible, because there were so, so many things that she did that we couldn't possibly include everything, you know, um, so just trying to pick out those key things to really celebrate who she was as something that will hopefully you know, live on and people will learn from it. Well, what was your process working together as you started, you know, tossing back ideas? Do you, do you start with the story first, the music first? How did you work together? Well, I mean, definitely with like our collaborations, it's usually the words first. Um, you know, we're starting with the words. Uh, we do kind of brainstorm at the beginning just to kind of talk about general parameters, what people, well, not people, but like, you know, the opera company may want to include or may want to exclude or really focus on and all of that. So once we have kind of those parameters down, pretty much is, I think is when Mary kind of goes to town. And yeah, and depending on the story, we may talk about like the plot, have them do this and have them do that. I mean, but Mary's a great, um, a great writer. So I can, I can, I can fall asleep in the backseat, <laughs> so to speak, when <laughs> she's writing. So Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And one of the things that when we first talked about it, I think that we all were immediately excited about was the fact that, you know, she was this newspaper editor and how could we incorporate, you know, some of the newspaper 
pieces of it. So that um, when we first had our first meeting with Alexis and the the Portland Opera folks and and Dave and I, I think that was one of the things that kind of immediately clicked. You know, it's like, yeah, we definitely have to show, you know, that aspect of it somehow. So, but yeah, like Dave said, just really just, you know, bouncing things off of each other and figuring out, you know, what the, what the basic, you know, parameters of it that we have to work with and going from there. Yeah. Now, now I was going to say, this story was, um, for me, a bit more, in some ways, difficult than maybe like one vote one, in that, there, as Mary alluded before, there's so much with Beatrice's life that I wanted everything to just be a moment. I want everything just to be a sounds like, Dave, we only have, you know, some, the kids are going to get bored. If we do make everything <laughs> like you, like it's gone with the wind. I wanted it to be a three hour epic um, <laughs> right. Beatrice gone with the wind. But it's like, you know, we only have so much time with, you know, with young kids and families and all of that. So it was, it's really interesting to kind of have to be able to pace it and, you know, decide, you no, know, this can be a, a moment we can, you know, make this a song and this will kind of have to, you know, move on. So that was a definitely interesting and unique challenge for this work. Yeah. 50 minutes. That's tight. Yeah. That's tight uh, as far as time. I wonder, uh, Mary, when you started writing the lyrics, were you thinking in terms of something that would be musical? I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm interested in the process. Yeah, it's funny because, well, this is One Vote One, which Dave and I worked on, was really my first time writing for, you know, <laughs> opera for music. And so, um, you know, I was in another interview that I had to write out for Alexis, you know, I was thinking about the process and I realized that I kind of like make up music in my head <laughs> as I'm like writing things or as I go back over things. And of course it's never as amazing as what Dave puts together. But <laughs> so, but it's kind of funny, my process in my head, and then to see how it actually turns out when Dave does his magic, but <laughs> it's totally different. But, you know, I do try to think of how it might be, but if, so that's kind of my process. But of course, you know, once Dave does his thing, it becomes this completely beautiful, magical thing. But I do try to think of it, you know, in that aspect of, you know, how, how this is going to sound, how this might work in terms of being sung. So Dave, when you get a bunch of words and, and Mary is, is singing some of them for you, <laughs> what, what goes on in your, in your creative process? Well, you know, it's funny you ask that because I was really thinking about that today. I'm like, you know, Dave, how do you do it? Because and I, I love to compose, but everything I do is kind of so different. And and I realized like I really love to like internalize the words, pretty much like in like an actor. Um, like Mary's an actress and director, and you know, and I direct on the side. I say, and I'm a dramaturg and all of that. So I love really just kind of internalizing what she wrote and just kind of letting the music, you know, music come really, you know, come as it is. And since she's like a brilliant, like playwright, it's like, okay, Dave, what was Mary trying to say as far as like the, the phrasing here and, you know, and the pace, you know, what is the overall scene and how can I kind of make this work dramatically? Yeah. I, I think uh, there's probably a lot of, you know, I've got this part, send it out to, you know, and, and share it with the other partner and, and then go back and forth a lot. I would imagine there's a lot of back and forth. I don't know, almost like making a quilt or something. You know, you got this piece here, you got that. I don't know. Is that is that a fair comparison? 
I I think so. I mean, I think, you know, I tend to, at least the last couple of projects, you know, I've kind of put together my draft and Dave kind of takes it from there. But then, yeah, there is some kind of back and forth. Say, hey, this doesn't, you know, I need something here. Or this doesn't quite work. Or I think this needs to, you know, flow better. And I think I learned from the first one. I think I wrote a little bit less with this one, but probably still too much, you know? <laughs> so, you know, I tend to have a lot of words and then we got to figure out, okay, how do we, you know, make this, condense this. But in my mind, it's probably easier to cut things than to, you know, <laughs> have to add things. I think it, the editing is probably a lot easier than trying to come up with the first draft period, right? Yeah, but I'm yeah. kind of learning from that in terms of, you know, trying not to have, you know, too many words. Um <laughs> But yeah, so I think it, you know, is that back and forth for sure. It seems like it might have helped too, since the other opera you worked on together, One Vote One, was about women's suffrage. So there was that almost that same early 20th century time period. So you had some of the background already, I would think, of what was going on in the country. Yeah, I think there were a lot of, you know, similarities about things that were happening at that point in time. And then, of course, Beatrice had this totally unique journey of her own, which was really fun to kind of dive in and learn about her. So I want you each to come up with one surprising fact that you learned about Beatrice Morrow Kennedy. Well, for me, I think that there's not a whole lot known about how she kind of ended up out West. I mean, it was known that her and Edward, um, who she eventually married, kind of had this correspondence where they wrote back and forth. So I wanted to incorporate some of that, which I found pretty Need It kind of fascinates me about, because I think we're so used to in this day and time being able to just, you know, pick up the phone and call somebody and text somebody or, you know, get on video with somebody. And they couldn't do that back in the day. You know, they're writing these letters back and forth. And she eventually, you know, decided to move out there, which to me was pretty brave. You know, she didn't know anyone. All of her family, you know, was back home. So to me, I just, I, I love that aspect of just kind of trying to think, you know, how she made this decision and then, you know, ended up going to Portland and, and thriving there. So to me, I, that kind of immediately off the bat fascinated me about her. And I really, you know, love to kind of think about, you know, maybe how her journey was from, you know, that point in time and, you know, what she thought when she first got there and decided to stay. So I thought that was pretty cool. How about you, Dave? I would say, I mean, there's so many kind of intricate things about her life that are just so amazing. Probably what sticks out for me, and maybe because it's, I'm a little biased, is one of my favorite scenes in the opera is the interracial teas. Like my my mother was a is a really big um, home economics person, and she you know hosts a lot of things um, you know at her home with women and teas and all of that. And my her mother, you know my maternal grandmother, was a strong prominent person in her community in, in northeastern Georgia as well. So the idea of, you know, this woman, especially in her time period, willingly opening her home to to women of multiple cultures and backgrounds to come in and say, hey, let's break bread together and you know, let's have dialogue. I'm sure at that time period was probably insane, but ultimately um, very much enlightening. So I'm, I'm just kind of curious about that, really. Like, I'm, I want to know, like, what did the, the women, how did they feel like before and after the tea? And you know, what did they talk about? That's what really I want to know is what they talk about <laughs> at, at this tea. What, what time period was that when they had the tea? Was that like 1920-ish or? 
Yeah. I mean, it was pretty much during her heyday as the editor of the of the paper. I mean, I feel like she started that pretty almost kind of immediately and it, it grew and then other people started doing it. And then, you know, other women, you know, of other races were having these teas. So she really kind of started this trend and it became pretty, you know, pretty popular, but yeah, like Dave said, I would have loved to kind of just, you know, be a fly on the wall and kind of see, you know, what those conversations were like. Did you portray that in, in the opera as well? We do. Yeah. We have a scene where, um, so one of the one of the characters she actually kind of meets, we have this character that kind of becomes a part of her life that she meets when she first arrives in Portland at the bus station. And this woman, they actually you know, develop this relationship. And so we see the tea um, as the woman's coming over to Beatrice's house and she's talking about just how you know, amazing it is to see all these women, you know, dressed up and having these conversations. And, you know, Beatrice was really famous for having this full library in her house with all of these books and things. So we do show that in one of the scenes. That's very exciting. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm thinking too, uh, when you think about new opera, you know, what is the new opera Dave, what is the, the, the style of music? What is the new opera? That's a fascinating question. And I was actually like in a call with Opera America uh, a few weeks ago. And you know, Mark Skorka asked us like the same question. It's like, you know, how do you how do we define opera now? And, you know, in the the, the 2020s um, and in this day and age, I love how opera is taking shape, how it's actually telling stories that are that are relevant. And, and like uh, the opera Blue is very much, you know, popular and showing all over and, you know, works like We Shall Not Be Moved and I Dream and works that are, you know, have a strong, you know, um, BIPOC representation. And it's not just traditional, I always say the, the powdered wigs and horns and helmets that people immediately kind of think about, oh, well, that's opera. And, you know, and not only that, but it's opera, but it's not for me you know, with powdered wigs and horns and helmets and languages I don't understand. But, you know, opera t today and these days being relevant um, is, is very much important. You know, we saw that with One Vote One with, you know, people from eight to 88 uh, <laughs> being able to watch that and actually, you know, understand it and sit down with their families and talk about it. So hopefully with this one too, with Beatrice, it'll spark some discussion amongst groups and, you know, amongst, you know, intergenerational families. Well, certainly more inclusive, isn't it? Not just in BIPOC representation, but also perhaps the music as well. I mean, just to be able to include people who maybe aren't familiar with opera or have a certain idea of what opera has been in the past and might not be attracted to that part of it. Um, it seems like it gives it more life and a possibility for new audiences. I've been encouraged, actually, with changes in leadership and more BIPOC representation in Portland. And you've both worked with performing arts organizations around the country. Are, are you encouraged by these types of projects, especially this multi-year project of Portland Opera and its new leadership? Definitely. I think one of the things that I really loved is the first, our first day when we were doing the workshop, just to hear um, Portland Opera talk about, you know, what their, what their vision is, what they stand for and why they're doing this project was, it was really just heartwarming for me to not only know that they're commissioning this project, but actually talking about it and 
and writing it down and, you know, and making it known that this is why we're doing this. And this is why we want to be inclusive and tell these stories. I, that really struck me as pretty amazing. It's just as something that, you know, working in a lot of organizations in the past, I haven't necessarily heard that, not to say that they didn't necessarily feel that way, but for them to be so vocal about it and say, this is who we are and this is why we're doing this to me, I think is a great step forward. And I, I love to see organizations, you know, saying these types of things and not only saying it, but actually trying to do something to, you know, put, put something behind the words if, you know, for lack of a better way to say it, but actually doing some things with these types of projects such as Beatrice and telling these stories. And the support um, that they gave for this project in that regard was very, very much appreciated. I think we, because we actually had like some sessions um, where we talked about the characters in particular and also kind of cultural relationship, if I can kind of put it like that. I've been in arts and singing opera or singing classical for, for many, many years now. Not like at the Met or anything, but, um, <laughs> but for a few years. And so it's real easy to say, you know, here, Dave, go sing Porgy and Bess. And you're just, you know, giving a score and you're thrown on stage, but we don't talk about cultural relationships and, you know, things in the opera that, you know, may be culturally out of date or offensive to someone or offensive to, you know, a particular gender or a particular group or generation or age. And nowadays being able to kind of address things and in and, and, and particular with this, because it's so historical, how they're taking the step to you know, to make sure that things are in agreement, in alignment, um, was very much appreciated in those regards. That's very encouraging. It's very encouraging. I, I would also imagine uh, you were here for the workshop performances, and it's going to be opening the world premiere on September 17th and 18th, 2022. And, it, and you'll both be back for that. But I'm imagining that to see the opera with young audiences with middle schoolers has got to have, you know, a certain kind of place in your heart. You know, when I think about young people being able to see your work and appreciating it, what is your hope for young people watching Beatrice? I would say for me this, and I say this all the time, that with One Vote One and with Beatrice, especially with Beatrice, that I write for the young person sitting in the back of the eighth grade history class who may or may not have got enough sleep last night or who may or may not have had enough to eat that morning or the, the night before. Because I've, I've been a substitute teacher for many, a few years in, in, you know, in my hometown, Chattanooga. So, and I teach like a lot of middle school kids privately. So I, I know what it's like and I kind of get it. So I make sure that things are kind of accessible particularly for that age group. And so that, you know, everyone can kind of get on board and can participate in the, in the discussion. It's real easy to, you know, write it for the, the thousand dollar donor box, as I like to call it, at the, at the, the symphony orchestra and, and all of that. But making sure that the, the opera really is for everyone and it's accessible for everyone. Hearing you both talk about it too, it seems very timely to remember the heroes of the past are also the heroes of today or could be, or could be. Well, any final thoughts? Yeah. And for me, I just want them to see her as a, a real person, a person who 
was just like you and me. And she just used her voice to fight for change and that we all can use our voices to make a difference. And that, you know, it wasn't necessarily something that was easy. We wanted to tell the story. And I think we do show her as a human being who, who had normal reactions. You know, she got disappointed when things didn't work out. She worked herself to she was exhausted and, and didn't give up type of thing. But just to see, to see the humanity in her, see her as a person and to see that we can all hopefully take something away that we can make a a change as well by standing up for what's right, for using our voice. If we see something that's wrong, you know, trying to make change. So I hope, I hope the kids take that away as well. And, you know, at the end we talk about, she hopes that future generations will answer this call. She stood up during her time, but even in the times that we are in today, you know, there's still lots of things that we have to keep fighting for and using our voice to enact change. So I hope the kids will kind of hear that call and maybe see and do something that they, that they will do something on their own to try to make change in some, some way. Do you think it'll do any final tweaking or is that it once you see it on its feet? Uh, For me, I'm just excited to see. Yeah, (laughs) I'm just really excited to um, for the debut and hope people will come out and support it. Excited to, you know, we had some kids that were at the workshop and it was really neat to hear their their feedback and see that they were engaged. And I'm just hoping that that, you know, continues to be the case and. You, you know, I, I'm not going to lie. I, I I do think of scenes. I'm even like, to, I know they're rehearsing now, but I'm thinking, I wish I could have added that scene in and whatnot. So this might be end up being um, Beatrice Gone with the Wind. <laughs> part two, part two, right? <laughs> part two, part exactly. Two, right. right. Yeah, this might be a little saga or something like that. You know? yeah, so. Well, you never know. You both have worked in media too. So you never know when it might become something else, <laughs> right. right? So there's always, there's always that. It's It happens quite often. Thank you very much. It was such a pleasure to meet both of you today and talk with you. Thank you. Composer Dave Ragland and librettist Mary McCallum of the New Portland Opera to go work. Beatrice, uh, I really appreciate talking with you. Thanks for joining me today on Stage and Studio on Artswatch. Thanks for having us. close out with some music from Beatrice. You can find out more about Beatrice at portlandopera.org. That's it for Stage and Studio. Hear this show again on stageandstudio.org or orartswatch.org. And like us on facebook.com slash stage to letter and studio. Till the next conversation, I'm Lo Roberts. Take a dream from true.